Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 115. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping, backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. The Warren Kramer book is still being proofed, and I'm still working on my Mad Book and Kool-Aid Men articles, as well as articles about Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton comics. I'm also working on a book about Pac-Man. Letters, we get letters. Here's one from Peter Werner, who wrote, Great interview, and it was fun learning more about Sherry Flanagan's background. I wish there had been more talk about Trots and Bonnie itself and what she has to say about the concept of it. She goes into that a bit in the old comic book confidential doc, but I'm always keen to hear more. As to the French Trots and Bonnie anthology, I can report it's still definitely available. I was in Paris in October 2019 and saw multiple brand new copies of it in a comic book shop there. I would have snapped it up if I had all read French. It was seeing that that got me thinking about Sherry's work and how much I'd love to see it in print again in English. I am kind of wondering if this new anthology will have everything that was republished in the French 1981 edition since there's such squeamishness today on anything to do with adolescence and sexuality which is dealt with in a very direct and politically incorrect way in some of her stories. On today's show, by special request, we discuss the life of artist John Severin on the year of his 100th birthday with someone who worked with him. Here he is, Mort Todd. Hello, it's the Fun Ideas Podcast, and today we have a returning guest, except this is the first time he's on video. Um, so with me today is the former editor of Cracked Magazine and a good friend of the late John Severin and the late Steve Ditko and probably a zillion other people. And you can tell me about Neo Charlton and all the other stuff you do. But here he is, Mort Todd. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> oh, you put in the applause and clapping. <laughs> right, and, right. And hollering. Here's the studio. Well, first, <laughs> I, I, I want to raise a drink to my good friend John. It's a... Uh, it's a glass of Bushmills whiskey, which he introduced me to. He would send me a bottle every Christmas. And before then, you know, I, I just didn't know what I wanted to drink. <laughs> you know, I would have beer or rum or this or that. But once he sent me the classic Bushmills, I was converted for life. <laughs> it, it's a... Uh, it's an Irish whiskey from the oldest distillery in Ireland, where John's family hails from. And uh, But what's ironic is that it was a Protestant whiskey, and John was a devout Catholic. But hmm. well, every we'll year, things like that today. send me a <laughs> bottle, and oh boy, it changed my life more than, more than perhaps anything. <laughs> so here, here's this John. This is just water, but <laughs> sometimes I've drunk. But drink. it's Irish water. So, sometimes I've drank and harder stuff on this show, but today <laughs> it's just water. <laughs> so I had a request, and this is the whole purpose of doing this show. Uh, Mark, why don't you do a show about the life of John Severin? And I go, mm, because the people I had contacted back in the day uh, are unfortunately all gone, which was mainly John himself and his wife, Michalina. And so they were the people that I Lovely interviewed, lady. which um, I'll promote these right now. Uh, 
pour these two books if you're cracked you're happy insert applause <laughs> which this gentleman to my left uh actually helped design the covers you know he did the back covers too um wow, he's got a upc it's legit yes uh for uh, everyone who's watching, if you don't have these, uh, you can get them for Bear Manor Media. You can get them from Amazon. And now, even though these aren't, these are soft cover, they're in hardcover for the first time in ever. <laughs> they came yeah, out 10 years ago. Those books are thick. There must yeah. be a lot of information in them. Well, there's a whole checklist. I mean, that's had mixed, <laughs> mixed feelings. Some people say, I hate the checklist. You should have it. <laughs> and then other people go, cool, the checklist. Well, I'm using the checklist for our next collaboration to okay. doing a, a book of, and, a, you know, Mark and I have, have done a previous collaboration, like, like this uh, yeah. comedy of John Severn book, you know, Severn and Jack and Davis, Davis book, book. as illustrated. <laughs> and um, I was thinking our next book might be like TV parodies of the 60s and 70s. Sure. And, um, and yeah, we were working on these. These came out. This was a Kickstarter, and it did pretty well. Uh, thank you, everyone. And it's still for sale. Not the Kickstarter, but I mean, you could still order these from more or from me or on Amazon. Um, but uh, all the little extra perks and everything in the Kickstarter are long gone. There was hats and postcards and other stuff. I don't I think remember. We still got T-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> um. That's true. You can order the T-shirts still if you want to, but uh, that would be a separate purchase. Um, but uh, you and I were talking about doing a follow-up, and then this <coughs> pandemic started, and it kind of threw Wait, everyone you off. Have the cough? You got the cough? <coughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm fine. You need to be wearing masks so it doesn't <laughs> go viral. <laughs> I hope this video goes viral. <laughs> Anyway, um, I'm fine. I got my first vaccine. I'm ready to do the third, the second one in about. Oh, there'll be a third. Two weeks, a third virus. Yes, <laughs> probably will be. <laughs> Every month. Yeah. Anyway, but enough about that. So, um, got a request to do a little uh, podcast about the life of John Severin. So, I guess I can start things off by just kind of reading. I printed out what's on Wikipedia, so I'm not, I don't have all this stuff by memory. I mean, I know he's born in like <laughs> 1921, but I forgot the day. Turns out it's the so day after Christmas. So he'd be 100 this year. Yes. Uh, on Christmas. December 26, 1921 was his birthday. He always told me it was Christmas. Well, it probably was, but it's, <laughs> I'm not saying Wikipedia is always <laughs> accurate. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it says here he's not, he's not dead yet. No. <laughs> oh, um, I wish. Yeah. Um, so a little background on him and I'll just kind of paraphrase stuff like this. Uh, he, his most distinctive work besides Cracked is probably his work for EC Comics. He worked on the war comics, particularly Two-Fisted Tales and Frontline Combat. Uh, he was also on the a, editor. Along yes, he was Mark. editor of Two-Fisted Tales after Kurtzman took over Mad full time. Uh, and um, he also worked on a zillion Western comics, which I think you've reprinted a few, and you can talk about those. Yes, <laughs> Billy the Kid and Black Bull. And uh, <laughs> and then for Marvel Comics, he did uh, The Incredible Hulk for a while and probably a bunch of other things. Sergeant Fury, Nick didn't he? Fury. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, obviously, yeah, Sergeant yeah. Fury. But and then Fury just, just to get the whole family affair together, his sister Marie Severin was a colorist at DC Comics. She passed away a few years ago as well, and she also oh, and she she worked did, a lot at Marvel. And he, she like, did tons of stuff at Marvel. She worked on she Crazy like, Magazine. Uh, she and did, she did the Hulk. She did the Hulk too. Yeah. Um, let's see. So it says he was born in Jersey City, New Jersey. So someone's got to be. <laughs> And it says here he's of Norwegian and Irish descent, which is almost my background makeup. I'm part Norwegian. You look a lot like him. <laughs> Probably now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I used to have hair, but so did John. Now, um, my first question to you to get you in on the conversation. So I've seen photos of Severin, or at least I've heard about it because I'm also doing a mad book right now. Of Severin knew like all those guys like Elder and Jaffe and Went everybody them, yeah. back in high school. And it, do you know more about that? I mean, yeah. Your, well, yeah. after uh, they left high school, they formed a studio. Uh, 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 Severin, Elder, and Kurtzman, along with um, oh, oh, now you got me. Uh, the guy that created oh Gustini that created Lucky Luke, Lucky Luke, as they say in France and shit. <laughs> Well, can I say naughty words like that? You can say naughty words. Okay. So uh, <laughs> they had a studio in Manhattan. And that's where basically through John, they came up with the idea of Mad Magazine. Hmm. Because, uh, you know, I, it, you didn't report it from the wiki, but John had been selling cartoons since he was a teenager to Hobo News which was a weird newspaper that was sold uh, to make money for hobos, like in trains <laughs> and on the street and stuff like that. So John had had a long interest in comedy. So the way he told me, Mad was basically his idea. Yeah. And Kurtzman, uh, you know, brought it up at EC and <laughs> involved Elder and Kurtzman. But uh, Elder, Kurtzman, and Severin, like I said, had a career before that working in the studio. This this book, uh, The Black Bull here. Wait, wait, wait. It's over here. Yeah, it's all back. Is, uh, some of their first work. <laughs> I, I think it was John's first regular series. He had done like some crime comics and horror comics with Kirby and other people. But I think Black Bull was the first regular series that John had, uh, and it was from Prize Comics, and it was inked by Elder. And there's one story in this book where it was uh, uh, where Kurtzman had a heavy hand in it, and you can see it. I mean, the first, the very first story was by Dick Briefer, who did the Frankenstein humor and horror comics at Prize. But after that first issue, Severn took it over, and it is very early stuff. You might not think it looks like Severin, but you can see some very heavy Severin, you know, aspects to it. I haven't seen all that stuff. Did he always kind of draw the semi-realistic way they seem to draw? Or oh, yeah. Different yeah. Styles of people back then? Okay. Well, uh, like I said, he, the early stuff, like some crime and horror stuff, it was, it was pretty loose and, uh, but every now and then you'd see like, oh, that's a Severin girl or that's a Severin layout. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, so, so you see that. He also told me some of his earliest works was doing uh, Dick Tracy covers for Harvey and yeah. Joe Simon, your good friend, uh, <laughs> gets credited for a lot of them. Yeah. And they're so loose because he's trying to follow the Chester Gould style that it's hard to tell at Severin, but every now and then there's a detail, like if there's a gun or yeah. some wood or something, you go like, mm, that kind of looks like Severin. Though I haven't been able to identify any particular issues, you know. As right, yeah, I think the only thing that's, Severin. that's really identifiable if you're going for Harvey is uh, those, uh, was it called Amazing Adventures or I forgot what it was. Oh yeah, that was like, tales. Yeah. No, it was like, you know, like 15, 20 years later. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's definitely, you know, very obvious to tell it, Severin. And um, <laughs> on, on my Facebook page, I, whenever I can find good scans of artwork, I'll color them just for fun. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are Severin. And yeah, there's one of those alarming adventures and uh, uh, other stuff like the Fargo Kid you know, like a Western that was never printed. I composed the cover with the logo and all this baloney, <laughs> recolored it because it's just like hanging out with my old pal, again. Now, did you ever, I know you saw Severin when you did the 30th uh, birthday for Cracked. Uh, what year was that? The 88 or something like that? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, did you ever go out to see him in Colorado or no? Nah, unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I had, but uh, yeah, that was just it. It was like uh, back in the day before Zoom, like if you dealt with artists and creators out of the tri-state New York area, uh, you do it on the phone or through the mail and stuff. So I I very literally talked to Severin almost every day for (laughs) some time for, you know, at least five years. And yeah, he he was quite the mentor (laughs) and we talk about everything under the sun, you know, like his old work, his new work, why he did this, why he didn't do that, all kinds of fun stuff, art techniques, Mm -hmm. everything. It was a ultra education. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was that one time in 88, we were having a 30th anniversary crack party. I wasn't even 30 years old then. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> you still are. <laughs> but, but, well, but we had this big party in New York that was like, oh, it was really fun. So John didn't like to fly, so we got him and his wife Michalina a, a first class cabin on the train. Oh, cool! Yeah, so they came from Denver to Grand Central Station on a train, and I asked John. I was like, of course, I've seen pictures of him. It was like how will I recognize you? And he was like, well, I've been told I'm a cross between John Wayne and Orson Welles. And it it is true. He was a big grizzly bear of a guy, you know, with like full beard, nice hairline, and just like... How how tall was he? Ooh, he had to be over six feet. How tall are you? I don't even know. It's like I think uh, girlfriends have said I was five nine. Okay, so you're a little shorter. <laughs> I'm like five ten, five eleven, whatever. On a good day, <laughs> so he towered over me. 
Okay. Okay. And, and again, uh, one thing I got to note too is Michalina, his wife, was just what a gal. Because like <laughs> cartoonists, it, it's a hard life. You got to spend a lot of time isolated, mm-hmm. so you could crank out all your pages. I estimated, like in the early '60s, John was doing over a hundred pages a month, mm-hmm. and not including painted covers and all kinds of various freelance. So that's like over a page a day, which right. is kills me. And you need a wife like Michalina to traffic all that grief. You know, <laughs> like the best artists have best wives who handle all the like, where's the check? Like mm-hmm. you didn't pay us the total a month amount last month and you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And as you know, doing yeah. the book you had to go through michelina yeah i never right? actually officially talked to john which some people go oh you know that's too bad and it's like well i don't know what i would say to him because she even said i know everything <laughs> he doesn't know anything you know it's like and i go okay you know it's like because she goes she was the one who told me yeah he was already and you can confirm or deny you know right. whether because you were there uh, that John was always on salary at Crack Magazine. He wasn't an, you know, a per-page person. So he literally could do as much or as little work as he wanted to on Crack. I don't know if that was still the case when you came along. but No, nah, it was a per-page rate. And, okay. and, and I, I'll go into more into that in a bit with okay. you know, Lake and everything. But uh, another thing about Michelini I got to mention is that John's colorblind. Yeah. And, and he did all these painted covers and stuff. So like Michelina had to label all the paint colors for him that, so yeah. that like it still slipped through because every now and then you get a f- green flame on a birthday cake or, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm sure Michelina never saw E.T. So yeah, the green she didn't know E.T. Yeah. wasn't green. They're aliens, right? Yes. <laughs> right. And uh, maybe even John thought, oh, it says green on here. Aliens are green. I'll, I'll use that. And it's you like, take it, it for granted, for, right? Uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, so going back uh, now, it, if I went a little further on here, since you mentioned it already, it's like, uh, while attending high school, he contributed cartoons to the Hobo News. So it, oh, it is now on Now you're here. using Wiki. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, <laughs> Have you seen any of these hobo news car- comics or anything like that? I, think I did a real long time ago, and they were sort of, uh, you know, in the style of like F. Opper in the twenties and thirties. They were mm-hmm. kind of like loose and jiggly type drawings. Yeah. Can you still tell it's John's work, or is it kind of like because no. like Jack Davis, for example? Yeah, you, know, you see stuff he did like in his high school yearbook and in the Navy. And it, it kind of looks like Jack Davis, but if you didn't know it was Jack can't Davis, you probably yeah. wouldn't think it was Jack Davis. At least no, I can't help it. Yeah. You know, it's just no, as he I got mean, older, sure you get that some style. Yeah. It was like I was saying with the uh, Dick Tracy covers, like there's yeah. gotta be a giveaway. There's gotta be a clue somewhere. that was like, that's yeah. a Severn rock in the background yeah. right <laughs> and it wouldn't have to be that way see the thing about harvey stuff first of all because they never credited everything and i'm the one who wrote the harvey comics companion i get it wrong sorry folks but it's like <laughs> <laughs> the thing is even if severin say ain't, it, penciled it it doesn't necessarily mean he inked it 
And it didn't mean he painted it necessarily. He probably did in the case of the Dick Tracy covers. But, I mean, you don't know all that because they don't put that like Marvel did in the 60s. It's like ink by fantastic uh, Fred Smith and, uh, <laughs> you know, you know uh, letters by Jolton Joe DiMaggio, whatever. You know, they didn't do that on anyone. I think EC probably was the first one that gave Severin a credit, correct? Uh it, well, it's hard to say. I mean, sometimes uh, artists would sneak a signature in, you know. Right, but I mean, where they actually proudly let them put Severin or Jay Severin in, you know, they even had the little bios and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but I don't think they actually had credit boxes like Marvel did, you know. Right, right. But, you know, the thing that also is good about EC versus other studios is that they allowed people to draw in their own style. Um, whereas like using Harvey as an example, um, especially later when they're doing the cast of Richie Rich stuff, they wanted everybody to draw on the Steve Mufati or later the Warren Kremer style. And right. to this day, it, it, it like Ernie Cologne drew so closely to Warren Kremer that people commonly say, well, that's a Cologne cover. And I have to say, no, it wasn't right. because Cologne rarely did cover it. No, so, yeah, no, but it, it's because I know all this history that right. I've researched over the years. And it's the same thing with those Dick Tracy covers. It's like, um, originally I just thought it was Chester Gould because, hey, it's Dick Tracy. And then... And it's got a signature. It yeah. says Chester Gould right <laughs> <Yeah>. over there. <laughs> and it was in talking to Sid Jacobson. No, no, no. Most of the covers weren't done by the comic artists. They were actually done by, you know, and he'd label them off and he'd say, he didn't mention John Severin, but I'm not saying that he didn't do them. I think Severin did do some of those. I think this would have been the late forties. Yeah. But uh, Simon was a lifelong friend with Albert Harvey. So he definitely did a lot of stuff. Everybody thinks. Well, he gets credited for a lot of them. Yeah. Joe Simon, <laughs> right, yeah, but I mean, they, people don't even know Joe Simon was even around Harvey, and it's like, all they think of is Captain America, and it's like, no, no, he was right. with them in the 70s and 80s doing paperback covers with I think there's probably them. like Al A-Vision or whatever yes. did a lot that <laughs> Simon gets yeah, credit. That was one, too, and uh, and then, of course, Kremer did a lot, a lot of covers, and then um, beautiful, uh, then the, like the beautiful. horror stuff. Uh, Lee Elias gets credit for things where he just did the finishes; uh, he didn't do the original uh, artwork. But my Kremer sure. book is coming out, and conversely, <laughs> where he had other anchors like John right. Belfi and stuff like that. Yeah, so it makes it confusing because it's this like, is for geeks only. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, question about John. Um, uh, when he did his stuff, at any point in his career, did he tend to ink his own stuff and pencil his own stuff and do everything himself, or did he have assistance? Well, <clears throat> initially, like him and Elder worked a lot together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of times early John stuff was inked by El- Bill Elder. Will Elder? Bill? Bill? Bill Will. And, Will. Uh, but then later he was always inking penciling and inking his own work and i asked him about, about that because uh you know i was like well with a lot of artists how come you don't just pencil and let other people ink there are some instances where like uh there was like a story in creepy i think that wally wood inked one of john's stories and um you know very rarely and john would tend to ink other artists more than anyone would ink his pencils and I asked him about that and he was like well the way I draw I 
barely pencil mm-hmm. and I do all the finish work in the inks mm-hmm. and <clears throat> not to equate myself with such talent. I do the same thing. But uh, so he said for him to actually pencil a story mm-hmm. is so much work that he might as well ink it, mm-hmm. you know? So why bother it? So, you know, and I can understand that because like uh, his pencils were probably pretty non-existent. They were probably so loose and he knew what he wanted and just could ink it, you know, tight as we all love his work. You know? Now, now when he came out, uh, is the 30th anniversary party the only time you met him or did you see him a couple more times? No, that was it. I, oh, I still okay. continue to work with him for like another 15 years or so. Right, but... right. It was all through um, phone and mail. Because I was just wondering if you watched him draw um, uh, no, it, or pencil anything yeah. like that. If you, yeah. um, So speculation, I guess. I mean, do you think what he did was just like block out like and just put general forms and then he yeah. took the pen and just, okay. Yeah, because like I said, not to equate myself with him, but yeah, I, I do super loose mm-hmm. breakdowns. And then all all the real drawing is in inking. And I'm sure he was the same way because it's like, you know what you want. You just want to block it out like a, a director would do in a film or play. Just know this guy's here, that background's here. And then, you know, it saves a lot of grief. Right. Like than doing like completely full tight pencils for your own inks. I mean, I know some artists that do that and I'm like, why? to me is you know i'm no professional artist but it's like when i've drawn cartoons and comics i hate drawing it a second time i just like and that 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 was one of the reasons that was one of the reasons why i i said let the real artist do things i can at least plan it out and do a quick sketch for somebody saying this is what i want you know this here and that here and that here and then I right. hand it to like you, and then you make it look like this. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know. Now, in the case of this, this is a, an actual Severin drawing that was unpublished. It's one of the last drawings, if not the last drawing, by Severin, who did uh, Sylvester there. So that's unique to this book. If anybody wants to know, um, can I color it? And and more colored <laughs> it, yeah, because it's a black and white drawing. It was like yay big. If you can, wow. The screen to you do have that. the original. I do not. A friend of mine does. He probably doesn't want me to mention his name, but um, he found out I was doing the crack book and he told me about it. And I go, ooh, because um, when I talked to Michalina and John, John was in the middle of doing a later version of um, Batlash. And I think DC made a graphic novel out of it. I think it was a six issue miniseries or something, but he was feverishly trying to get the deadline done and i go wow he's still working incredibly oh incredible hours so yeah yeah. because this is like 2009 we're talking about now he he did like his last work was for dark horse and it was you know the day he died basically yeah and uh so that's what he was working on when i tried to interview him and then this book came out in 2011 it wasn't rawhide Uh, kid no it was it was actually batlash it was was the dc book that he put out you know, because uh, do you remember his Rawhide Kid for Marvel? Yeah, yeah. But this is I later kind, than that. I was yeah. kind of surprised because uh, I have it, um, but I don't have it with me. But yeah, yeah well, John was a little conservative, perhaps you might say. 
Yes. But uh, Rawhide Kid was like uh, rewritten as a gay Western character. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that but, version. Yeah. And this so was Marvel like, in the, the earliest, the OOs, as it were, the first uh, decade of this century. Is, is that what you're talking about, that they had him come out, as it were? Yeah, yeah. I, I I never read it either, so I don't know. Oh, okay. How oh, okay. Uh, but I mean, they, the time the timeline of when this was, what year was? Oh, it? yeah, 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 yeah. Which was yeah. like, yeah, it, it probably like like two thousand three, five. Yeah, I don't mean the timeline for <laughs> the original character. Eighteen seventy five, when so when Rawhide Kid tried to pick up the old prospector. So this is a problem. <laughs> Probably because of Brokeback Mountain and everything being oh, popular. Yeah, that's probably no, why they did like this. An or... early example of Marvel getting woke. Okay. <laughs> so, so you said Severin was conservative. So how did he handle it? Did he just kind of try hold his well, nose? No, no, or was no. he very no, no, I'm, what I'm saying is like he's considered, uh, you know, very conservative and everything. But like, oh, okay. I don't think he had a problem with it whatsoever. You know, it was just like, oh, okay, all right. I was just saying, I don't, I don't want to draw that. Right? No, no, no. Because no. <laughs> it seems like it just like you know, folks is folks. It seems like and Tom was pretty folks. open to drawing almost anything. I mean, considering all the work he did at Cracked all those oh, yeah. years, you know, so. I mean, he may not agree with it, but, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he took some of the things as a challenge. Um, yeah. One well, of the things it's not like to... Ditko. Ditko had actually turned down jobs for certain reasons because he disagreed with them and stuff. And I'm, I'm going to announce something here no one has ever heard of before, is that the fact that uh, DC approached uh, Ditko to do that, the comic Firestorm. Mm, yeah you know that character yeah and uh he turned it down because the cops weren't portrayed as good people in the story wow yeah <laughs> hmm. so you i know, mean you know Dit- i know Dit- we're going oh, on a tangent about ditko but it was right. ditko i know he liked the on run stuff and things like that but was he generally a conservative guy or what was his kind of yeah political background well, like, uh, you know, I said, uh, I would, I would talk to John several hours a day and uh, on the phone, but Ditko would come into the office several hours a week mm-hmm. and we'd talk about everything. And, uh, yeah, Ditko was actually a student of Ayn Rand at the Empire State Building. She had mm-hmm. classes in the sixties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, John and Steve were, big mentors for me because I was like 23 years old loved their work and (laughs) it was just such an honor to like hang out with them both several many hours a week and just Mm -hmm. talk about everything you know movie tv shows comics their careers all that stuff so did Ditko and Severin know each other or no well I'll tell you okay I mean, uh, Ditko is a very big fan of, of John's work. He'd come into my office and he'd look at John's artwork and just like hold it up and he'd run a finger over all the artwork to look <laughs> at the detail and texture and all this stuff. And, you know, what I've mentioned in the past is that uh, when I was at Marvel, 
I got the rights to do Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. And my big plan was to have Ditko pencil it and Severin ink it. Oh, wow. Yeah, because like a lot of the story is about trains, mm -hmm. you know, and I figured between the two of them, you know, uh, John would put every friggin' bolt on that train. You know? <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> so the problem was like I got the rights and I told Steve and Steve was like, I don't want to be responsible for drawing how these characters look and everything. And I'm like, He's like, every person who reads the book has their own idea of how the characters look. Right. And I told that to the Ayn Rand estate, and they were like, whatever Steve does, we'll approve. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, they knew Steve's attachment to objectivism and stuff. So, But unfortunately, Steve didn't go for it. And I think if Steve and John had done that book, you know, it'd be an evergreen. It would right. still be selling today because I think Atlas Shrugged is like, you know, two or three below the Bible in sales, <laughs> like after Kiss Me Deadly by Mickey Spillane. <laughs> I think Cat it's in still in the top three and stuff, but like... Um, did, uh, so the project just died after that. Yeah. You didn't continue but, with But seven. John did ink Ditko. Oh. For, yeah, for an issue of what the? Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, which so was, they did work together. I guess was, that's kind of interesting. Which um, was like a, a Marvel humor magazine, and so I knew John. I knew Steve had been drawing it, and that John was thinking it. And I asked John about it, and he was like, "I have no idea what was going on in that story. I just inked it." <laughs> Now, did, they, like, did they ever meet? Did they meet at that 30th yeah. birthday? Okay. No, I yeah. certainly invited Steve yeah. to the parties. And, and I, I don't think they didn't work at Marvel at the same time, right? Uh, early sorry? on. They didn't work at Marvel at the same oh, yeah, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the 60s. No, at Atlas, you know, before Marvel, okay. at, at, when okay. they were called Atlas. And, oh, okay, that's right. I mean, so they, they even appeared in the same magazine with Strange Tales when. Uh, with Doctor Strange and, and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, now, would they have been both together in New York at the the, the proverbial bullpen, or was John long well, ago gone to Colorado? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, John lived in New Jersey until the 70s, oh, okay. and so, then moved to Colorado. But uh, John also worked in the bullpen at the Empire State Building, uh, in the fifties, uh, with him and Joe Manili and a bunch of other artists had, uh, the, the bullpen was on the fifth floor editorial was like on the 33rd floor. And like I said, John didn't like to fly and he didn't like heights. So he was very glad to just be on the fifth floor. <laughs> so I would imagine Steve might have dropped by. Well, they might have met once or twice, yeah. but nothing consistent. Okay. Right. right. Not Because not I, you know, I never think about way. these things. That's why I was like thinking, did they work? And then you said Atlas. Of course there's an Atlas. But yeah, it's like. <laughs> so, um, I mean, they probably worked on stuff together, but uh, whether they, I'm sure they met, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't like, let's pal around together every day. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like they had their yeah. own lives. But um and again the, the, to, you know contrary to steve's reputation he he liked to party mm -hmm. he 
like in the Charlton days, he would go out to Derby, Connecticut a lot and go bowling and play baseball and do stuff with other Charlton people out there. But he didn't come to the the crack 30th. Was it just because he had certain uh, fear of people at certain times? Let's just say reservations. I don't know. Okay. Because it was wild because when we had the party, all the, you know, comic artists, uh, Glitterati showed up, you know, like Joe Kubert, like Ramitas, everyone showed up because John was so rarely in New York. They just right. wanted to. And you invited anybody that was somebody. I mean, not everybody. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if somebody called up, if it was like even Stan Lee, if he says, Can I come? You wouldn't have right. turned away. You never yeah. worked at Crack. You worked at Crazy. Go with right. no, <laughs> And <supposed>. Snafu. <laughs> yeah. No, and also so, Don yeah. Martin was at the party too. Yeah. So, we even got mad people who showed Ooh, up. Mad people. That's, I have heard that before. <laughs> that's true. Um, so that's the question I had based on some of the stuff we were talking about before we went live here, uh, because some things can't make it on the show. Um, we were talking about Severance conservatism, uh, and we're talking about whether uh, he get along with like Ditko and stuff like that. So there's a few people I'm kind of curious about because I'm working on a mad book. And something is up to my own speculation. Some is like based on just little things I've read. Um, you talk to Severn regularly, and I was just curious um, if you know this or learn this. So Severn was on the in the first ten issues of Mad when it was a comic book, and uh, then suddenly he was gone. Now I always contend the reason why he left is because he got the opportunity to edit Two Fisted Tales, and he's, it, that was like more interesting lucrative gig for him and he figured well would davis and elder they can take care of that with kurtzman and i'll do my own thing but i've also read that he and kurtzman didn't get along so do you know anything about this and what is probably more close to the truth yeah (laughs) what oh you want more that's it that's usually what i read so they not get along i thought they did get along no they they had a falling out they were they were pals and like i said they had a studio and all this stuff i think there might have been a little resentment about mad because uh you know from john's perspective he came up with the idea Mm -hmm. and uh you know kurtzman took it over and he might have might have, I mean, this speculation might have resented having to follow his layouts, except I found that not to be the case, actually, because I've done layouts for John before and he loves it because it, it, yeah. it's really a springboard for him to either follow or ignore. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that because, you yeah. know, but with Kurtzman, he might have been like, you got to follow this completely. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and so uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I wasn't Kurtzman editing two fisted tales before or was it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was never Feldstein. Yeah. No. Okay. So yeah. I think like uh, mad took over Kurtzman so much right. that he gave up two fisted tales yeah. and Severin jumped at it for the reasons you mentioned just because of the historical aspects and the fun and said like bye-bye to Matt. He he was not necessarily offered it. It was just available or 
Do you know that history? Nah, I, I, I don't okay. know. I probably have to ask but, Tommy Burns or but somebody I, else I, who knows this stuff backwards and forwards. Who would know? Tommy Burns, big EC yeah. fanatic. You know, he's been on the show. No, I just think, yeah, it became available because Kurtzman wanted to, uh, you know, to focus more on Mad, and yeah. maybe there was some inter-office talk where it right. was like, you know, if this slot's open, I want, you know, John wanted to get the hell out of Mad and yeah. this was more appropriate for him. Okay. Because um, it's hard to oh, tell let me sometimes. Just add one more thing, too, about uh, John's work at EC. Because uh, I, I asked John, like, why didn't you do more horror stories, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, the main horror story he did was, like, Strop Before You Kill Me or something about a fireman's revenge or whatever that Elder Inked and stuff. Right, right. You know, uh, it's so obvious. Why didn't you do more horror? Because, you know, there was the um, the Warren stuff that he did. There's so such great horror, not to mention Monsters Attack. Where it's great horror. I can show this to you. Are you talking? <laughs> right on, Daddy. <laughs> I got it too. Hey. <laughs> but uh, I hope you so I asked him why he did more EC horror, and he he said um, that uh, Gaines asked him to, and uh, so John did a, a drawing of an anatomically correct severed foot, <laughs> and it just you know grossed out Gaines so much. He was like, okay, 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 don't do horror. I even, um, I don't know if I can find it while we're talking here. I might be able to. But, I mean, this used to freak me out as a kid. Um, You know, it's so, you know, I was a squeamish little kid. No. (laughs) When I started reading Cracked, you know, you know, Cracked loved prior to you to do parodies of MASH. And so Mm -hmm. they they did, I think, I believe, eight parodies over the years. Usually. uh, You know, and uh, and that's just straight, that's just straight parody, not counting articles that might be about mash or right. something else like that or iron on um i can't seem to find it here easily but um but was some in the group first group? parody of cracked which was like the one of the earliest issues i ever saw i don't even think i bought the issue because it just grossed me out <laughs> is um uh so anybody looking at it look up the first time uh cracked uh parodied mash which i believe is from 1974 and they're all all the doctors are like uh, doing surgery, and then one of them just holds up this guy's arm, and it's detached. And it's not even that disgusting, but as a little kid, I was like, oh, because it looked realistic. It didn't look yeah. cartoony, you know. And I was well, like, even, oh, even on this cover, like, yeah. there's like a <laughs> there's like a little severed hand and eyeball with some bones on it. Right, and stuff right. And stuff. Well, by the time you did your thing with the uh, monster's uh, attack and everything, you know, I was a teenager going into adult so i was eating up monster stuff i was reading <laughs> famous monsters and everything else but at the time i was like you know well anyone that? listening to there's uh or watching there's like two or three seven stories per volume and these things and pinups he did and other stuff and you know i i was in a privileged position as the editor of these books so I wrote most of the stories John drew and, you know, I, I tried to make them heavy, you know, and worthwhile for the talent that was drawing them and stuff. There's, you know, like there's a story about the golem 
mm-hmm. which uh, you know reflects actual you know German history. Mm-hmm. There's like uh, the little vampire boy that ties into the polio epidemic of the fifties, mm-hmm. which wow, it just mm-hmm. it just means so much today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I found the thing. I mean, um, there we go. I don't know if you can see it here. There it is. The the severed hand. Oh! The yuck! <laughs> and that freaked me out as a little kid. I was like right. seven years old. I was like, yeah. That's like an ad from Horror House. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, like I said, I was a squeamish little kid, but, you know, I grew out of that. But, you know, right. I couldn't even look at famous monsters. I'd see it on the stand. I'd go, oh, put that back. And then <laughs> three years later, it's like, I can't get enough of this stuff. You know, so it's like, so by the time you did Monsters Attack, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was kind of always You were near to it. I, I was always disappointed that it only lasted five issues. And then oh, tell me did, about you, it. You only did four of them, and I never saw the fifth one. I didn't even know a fifth one came well, out. Well, I commissioned years later, half so. the fifth yeah. issue as well. Yeah, but I never saw it on the stands. I, I got years later in the eBay yeah. days. But anyway, so... Well, um, they decided to take a different direction <laughs> for the fifth issue because... You know, I I hired uh, Jerry DeFuccio and uh, Lou Silverstone from Mad to take over Cracked when I left. And they took over Monsters Attack and they didn't give a a, a toss about (laughs) horror comics. So the stuff they commissioned was more like crime comics. And, you know, there's a couple stories I'd already commissioned that were in the bin. Um, And plus... There's a John Severn story in the second volume of the Monsters Attack collection that was never published. It's a World War I dog fight between a French werewolf and a German vampire. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Is it this it? Uh, Transformation Flying? Exactly. Okay. So. It, it was like written by a good friend of mine who's a big history buff and put a lot of work into it he did he did rough layouts for it too and again like like i said severin would like either follow it or use it as a springboard mm-hmm. there's one frame in this that i like uh just this one here where it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, thing, the thing with severin like with the Gollum story that i did in this one mm-hmm. he uh well I'd send him reference for uh, old German films like Nosferatu or the Golem film. So they make, they make cameos in this a la Severine. <laughs> right. Now the question I have, and this is related to what I was talking about earlier, but you you said, so his stuff's too gruesome. And Bill said, no, stick with Mads, stick with two fisted <laughs> tails. Um, I'm under the impression uh, that Severn didn't get along with Kurtzman after the falling out, but he didn't ever get along with Al Feldstein. Is that correct? That's what I heard too. Yeah. yeah. And I don't and, know what the reason for that was. Uh, probably because of editorial dictates. <laughs> because it seems like in a certain respect, people had like a love hate relationship with Al Feldstein. I mean, he gave you free reign to do a lot of stuff your own way, but within the confines of all that text. So you had to, and Krigstein, Bernie Krigstein is one example where he's like, I can't stand right. this. And he'd move it around and, you know, Feldstein, why you? And all this stuff. But they 
seem to work together, whereas uh, Severin and uh, Feldstein, like, you'd think that Severin could have been plucked off for one of the panic stories or something like that because, you know, but he got Orlando instead, you know, using yeah. that as an example. So, well, many, many times over the years after <clears throat> John had left Mad, they approached him about returning. And the thing was, is like they offered an okay page rate, but because, uh, you know, Mad had so many artists per issue, they could only guarantee, you know, maybe four, six, eight pages a month. Yeah. Whereas John at Cracked yeah. sometimes did two thirds of the book. Yeah. Well, you know, so even with a lower page rate, you know, John would make a lot more money working at Cracked than at Mad. Right. And, you know, and Felstein might have been an aspect as well. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did manage to get Jack Davis back, but then Davis seemed to be a likable fellow that always seemed to get along with most everyone, even if he didn't like the work. Because I know when I talked to Jack Davis uh, that uh, I asked him about working at Cracked, and the one thing he could say is, oh, they paid terribly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he didn't dislike the work. He just didn't like that it was paid so low and you know right. you, you saw that after you know everybody saw that after he left cracked and sick he didn't do humor stuff for about three years until they got him back at mad and he was yeah. doing record albums and tv guy well, Time Magazine and stuff. the best thing <laughs> you know? the best thing that ever happened to jack davis is that he got blackballed from mad yeah. a lot of artists and kurtzman took a lot of artists away from mad to work for like humbug trump you know right other humor magazines and they were blackballed from working they ended up taking back jaffe uh you know a few other artists but i think it was the best thing to happen for davis because that's just it he had to live he had to freelance mm -hmm. and and that's when he started getting tv guide covers uh you know newsweek time movie posters record albums and got paid actual money as opposed to like <laughs> Mort Drucker who you know like stayed at MAD and and MAD wouldn't allow them for the most part to work anywhere else mm -hmm. even though they weren't under contract didn't have, get health care whatever mm -hmm. you know it was by some fluke that George Lucas managed to get Mort Drucker to do American Graffiti poster and stuff right, you know right. Like Don Martin couldn't get advertising work. Like advertising companies would call Mad and want to use these artists and <laughs> Mad wouldn't give them contact information. Right. So the best thing that happened to Jack Davis is that he got blackballed from Mad <laughs> and became a millionaire cartoonist. And then Mad was like, oh, you can come back, Jack. It's all right <laughs> for you to come back. Yeah. You know, so... At least he was nice and came back because he worked there for like another 30 years or yeah. something after that. So, um, well, in the 80s, too, I did an all Jack Davis issue of his oh, yeah. crack work. Which was the basis for this. Bravo! <laughs> so I called him about doing a new cover and all this stuff, and he was like, oh, I... I Oh, well, I, I couldn't do that to Bill and all this stuff. And all this stuff. Yeah, you could. Funny. But like, <laughs> well, didn't didn't you ultimately he designed a postage stamp for the uh, postal service, and that was what you you did, we didn't end up putting that in the book, but I mean, no, it, we did that on the back cover. 
Yeah, that was like the compromise or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gave me the contact information for the postal service and stuff. So it was new Jack Davis art, but right. <laughs> but it's almost he's like a sweetheart. Uh, he was I, just such a sweetheart. Him I know we're going off on a Davis too, tangent, but I mean that's kind of like with Sick Magazine. After Davis left Sick Magazine, uh, Joe Joe Simon would reprint. Uh, davis's christmas cards for a couple of years until davis said would you stop reprinting my christmas cards? <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why the last few things he did for sick are just santa drawings you know right. with these kind of dumpy skinny frumpy santa clauses that was supposed to be just a personal greeting card right for, you know and suddenly it's in sick magazine it's like stop Damn. Anyway. Were, were joe simon and paul lakin cousins or i don't know that <laughs> <laughs> I I know they have similarities on things that yeah. they did, but... That, I'll tell you, that's... too, with Mort Drucker, yeah. Yeah. you know, because we, we'd gotten Don Martin. Right. You know, I simply called him up and said, we'll give you the same page rate, return your original art, which Mad didn't do, mm-hmm. and uh, you own your copyright, which Mad didn't do. So, yeah. like, Don was like, zoom, yeah. came to crack. I offered the same thing to uh, Mort Drucker. Yeah. And more of super sweetheart, right? But he was like, well, you know, I needed uh, some heart surgery a few years ago. And Bill gave me, a, Bill Gaines gave me a loan. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, they didn't have health insurance or reprint money or anything mm-hmm. or own the original art. So Bill gave him a loan that he had to pay back. Right. So he felt obligated to stay at MAD and stuff like that. And then, you know, after everyone's done and gone, you know, it's like Bill's selling all the original art and, you know, making millions off it and stuff. Whereas, like, Drucker still owes him for his, for his heart surgery. <laughs> he probably still owes him. No, that's terrible. Yeah, anyway, donning his grandchildren. <laughs> it's, it's a little mailbox. Gaines has a little mailbox at his grave. <laughs> Insert check here. <laughs> All right, we're making fun of the dead. Oh well, it's not libel so or slander because you can't. Oh, anyway. one other anecdote I got to tell yes. you too is um, uh, this company Paper Cuts got yep. the rights for Tales from the Crypt. And we're doing new tales from the crypt stories. And I wrote and drew a few of them and stuff. And uh, I got a, I got a letter from his, it was his daughter, or his wife, Bill Gaines' daughter, or his wife that said, Oh, I wish Bill could have seen your art. He would have loved it so much. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Bill hated me. You don't know the skateboard story? Right. <laughs> anyway, if you want to know the skateboard story, you have to get one of these books here. Right. Volume two. So, Because we're supposed to be talking about John Severin. Anyway, get you back on track. Um, one thing, though, you know, you got all these people from MAD, but actually when you started it, correct, Severin wasn't even there. Is that correct? Unfortunately yeah. so. Yeah, because and- uh, didn't they, when Sproul sold it, he just sold the magazine. He didn't really sell... The staff, the artist. so everybody yeah, was didn't own the artist. Yeah. So when you got in there, I mean, 
I know it was Lakin, but you didn't even see Lakin because he worked out of his house. So, I mean, what did you uh, he'd see? He'd come in once a week. To oh, okay. So he did come in occasionally. Okay. So what did you see when you came to work? I mean, it's like, did you have any say-so at the beginning? I know you did later on. Well, basically, I mean... uh, yeah, they had hired Paul Lakin, who had worked on humor magazines for decades. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, the original publisher... Bob Sproul had sold it's Bob, right? Not Bill. Yeah, yeah Bob Sproul's the son. Yeah. And, <laughs> Bill's still with us. Huh? <laughs> right. hey. He had sold the magazine in 84, 85 to this um this advertising company in New York. They were based in Florida. And uh so they got Lakin based on his uh, experience yeah. with humor magazines over the last few decades to package the books. Yeah. And, you know, they gave him like a sum and he paid off the artists and all that stuff. And uh, after one or two issues, they realized, you know, it wasn't a good bet because like, he was doing like Nixon jokes in the eighties and, you know, didn't really have a, a firm grip on the youth market. So they were looking for an assistant editor that would also be in house, you know, in their offices, as opposed to him just coming in once a week to try and attract the youth market mm -hmm. and seeing how it was basically 10 years older than the target audience you know, after some finagling, I got hired. <laughs> and uh, the first thing I told them is like, without Severin, this magazine is dead. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, L Lakin had done tons of human magazines, you know, beyond sick or crazy or cracked right. that had all died because there wasn't an overwhelming talent like Severin. And plus, Severin was cracked and cracked with Severin. Right. And, and so I basically told these publishers, without Severin, your magazine's going to die. It's not going to last too long. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, your first job is to get Severin. And so <laughs> was through some friends at Marvel, I called up Severin and was like, dude, we need you. <laughs> and he was like, well, I heard from Lakin. And Lakin had offered an insulting page rate and wanted a kickback, <laughs> you know, which was just like crazy. So I basically said, um, you know, he was a little suspicious of me because I was working at Cracked, you know. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what kind of page rate you want? And, you know, what terms and we'll make it happen. And he was like, well, okay. He wanted 500 a page, which is still a pretty good page rate for comics. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, and he also said, I want to make sure I don't answer to anyone but you, to me, you know? So I was like, all right. Well, I talked to the publishers. They were like, all right, let's do it. And, <laughs> and, and he was getting 1500 for covers, yeah, which was nice. And uh, so at that moment, I basically became half editor of the magazine and I packaged about half of the book and Lakin did the other half. 
but then going through the artwork and all this stuff, I realized and talking with other artists that he was using, I realized that like he was reusing pages from sick magazine <laughs> and other, other comics and selling them to cracked, which, you know, could be a potential lawsuit. And then talking to other artists, I realized he was getting kickbacks from everybody yeah. and, and with crummy rates and everything. So, mm-hmm. so basically when I found that out, you know, they wanted a new editor and did an editor search and over the months they tried to find a new editor. I was secretly packaging the books myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sent them to press and everything until they ultimately realized, I'm like, mm, I guess you can do these books. And I was like, yeah, I can do these books. Yeah. <laughs> and John, so, of, of course, was the superstar of Cracked again. Yeah. So I guess, you know, you hit it off immediately, right? You, did, you know, you and John, yeah. Well, with all artists I've worked with, I mean, it was it was because of, like, I respected them so much. Yeah. I knew most of these artists work so well that, you know, I, I could speak their language, not only as, you know, boy editor behind the desk, but as a fanboy and also a... a, a, a developing creator (laughs) (laughs) so you know i could speak to him on a lot of levels and you know i think a lot of it boiled down to being just a fanboy and loving whenever i got their work and i'd be like oh this is so cool i see what you did here and this is great and And i really think we got better work from john than he'd been doing for crack for years yeah you know so I think it was our interaction and, you know, and stuff like that, where we, where John found a moment to shine again, instead of doing the Fonzie parody for the 15th time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of people. There's this um, interview in comics journal back in like 1983 or so, 82, I think somewhere around there. And he talks at length about his work for EC and for prize and for this company and that company. And other than the brief one sentence intro that mentions crack, it didn't mention anything else. And I was like looking at it going, he's worked for this longer than anything else. And they don't right. talk about it. I mean, yeah, I'd at least ask he's about been it. There he, about a quarter of a century by then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really I, I think you can really see um, phases of John's interest in Cracked. Mm-hmm. I think in the early books, he went overboard. There's some beautiful stuff, yeah. you know. And then I think by the early 70s, it was just work. Yeah. They would send him a script and, like, you know, draw Star Wars, draw Fonzie. Yeah. You know, well, sometimes they didn't do it very well. Like, um, I remember when they did parodies of Mork and Mindy, um, there was like an old lady on the show. I forgot how the character was like an ant or something. And he could draw Robin Williams perfectly. Uh, Pam Dauber, pretty good. And the dad, (laughs) not so much. And then the grandmother, anybody, you know, it's like, did he not have reference or did he just not care? Well, no, I mean, that's a good point because like back then, I mean, it was like, you didn't have the the web for oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. You could only use like TV Guide or People Magazine if you were like lucky and stuff. And and that's one thing I did 
at crack too is try to get as much freaking reference as possible yeah like with the batman movies and stuff like that i get all the you know photo books and magazines and start log whatever mm-hmm. try to get as much you know coverage as possible right. you know for him to do the parries as uh, along with going to the movie set <laughs> right i remember you said that uh, wasn't that in england wasn't you know pinewood yeah. 007 set. Right. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, um, I snuck in there and took photos and like we beat Mad, who was owned by the film company right. Warner Brothers, <laughs> with the parody with like you know the Batmobile looking like it was supposed to and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I still um you know, I, I think Mad still at that point, not later, because after that I think when you scooped it, it kind of helped change things, is they had this kind of attitude of letting like basically the fad died down before they even bothered to do a parody just to make sure well, well if we do a parody numbers, well people remember would, this you know yeah, or something like they that. they would look at box office and yeah. this and that as opposed to like what would what would your audience be interested in yeah because I know, I like, cracked pretty well, except for Leonard Part Six. Right. I mean, Cracked was pretty good about putting popular stuff back then. But uh, the one that always makes me laugh is in the seventies. Uh, they did a parody of Capone, which John drew, uh, and it's Beautiful like, cover. Who, who, who's ben, heard, ben who's heard of Capone? You know, and uh, you know, I've talked. We mentioned Billy Sproul. I had talked to him about that. It's like, why in the world did you do a cover story about a movie that was such a flop? And he goes. Well, we thought I'd be the new Godfather, and you know my dad liked it. You know, okay, you know it's like didn't really work out that way. Yeah, you get a hit and miss every now and then. Yeah, and again, that's another reason for like if you look at my covers uh, as opposed to the earlier covers, I I do all the layouts for covers, and I try and pack as many freaking celebrities as possible. So it's like, oh, you don't like Stallone. Well, there's RoboCop, or you know, like. well, even, even uh, uh, Sproul would do that in the old days, you know, because you know, especially on the annuals, you'd have like King Size right. Crack, and it'd oh, have, like, man. every '60s celebrity you could hear of, you know, on the cover. It'd have Tiny oh. Tim and Twiggy, and you know, Rowan and Martin, from and Uncle, Uncle. yeah, everybody, exactly. yeah. yeah. Oh, and and they only those covers on. only appeared on there. I mean. Uh, since you had to tell Severn, did he enjoy doing all that type of stuff, that little intricate detail work, or did you just do it? He just, he never complained? Yeah, it was his bag, you know? Okay. I mean, uh, I did a, we did a a crack subscription ad once that had, you know, probably like 70 people in it and stuff. (laughs) He got them all spot on. Yeah. Well, even your Monsters Attack cover, the one to your uh, right shoulder, you know, with all the... Yeah, that one. Uh, you know, there's a lot of characters on there, you know. Um, makes me wonder... Well, uh, you know, that one was uh, was inspired by the first issue of Creepy by Jack Davis. Oh, yeah. Because it had, sick. like, Uncle Creepy reading to these little kids and all these monsters in the background. So that was definitely an homage to, to that issue. Because after you, that, you, every oh. cover I did, Severn did was um, more like famous monsters. Because mm-hmm. it was just like a big monster head of like right. Freddy or Jason. Right. Or <laughs> well, you have Godzilla up there behind you and stuff <laughs> like that. So, um, How fast was Severn? I mean, as a 
painter or an inker or a... like I said in the sixties he was doing over a hundred pages a month. Well, that's uh, <laughs> at, when I was working with him, you could count on a page a day at least. Yeah, you know, and the co- same with covers, painted covers, whatever, mm-hmm. and. You know, as as an uh, you know, I hate to use this word, but as an artiste myself, I would love seeing his covers because you know, again, pre digital, he'd send us the originals, scan them, send them back. But his covers were so mixed medium. He would do uh, pen and ink, watercolor, uh, what was called electrofilm, which was like this adhesive color tape that you would apply and cut around and so he would just use whatever was sitting around to create <laughs> the covers and it was a marvel to look at and go like that takes some thinking you know now did you ever miss a deadline the time you were there well there was one time well, <laughs> or did I anything get lost i mean you're doing it to yeah. the mail well, I was no, you know, surprisingly, nothing got lost. But mm-hmm. I was always tricky because, as a freelancer myself, I knew that freelancers are deadbeats. I mean, this doesn't apply to John, but every other artist. So I would always skew up the deadlines two weeks. So, like, if I said, "I definitely need it by the fourth," it would be the eighteenth. You know? Yeah. So uh, under this rule once, John sent a cover and he said, oh, I really hated this cover and I want to redo it. Can I have one day more? And I was like, sure. And we opened up the envelope and it was the cover he had done all ripped to pieces. <laughs> Do you know to what was on the cover? that he did it. Yeah. You know, you know, and then you know what was on the cover or what was? Oh, yeah. It was a TV, uh, a TV cover where like Michael J. Fox and a lot of other, other people are hanging off a cliff. Oh, OK. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. So we wanted and, to redo uh, that one. Okay. So he sent this cover all torn up to shreds. And then the <laughs> next day we got his redone cover. Wow. And like my art director, Cliff Mott, who oh, he has so much to do with how much fun Cracked was and how great it was and stuff. He he opened the envelope and he put all the pieces together and I think he still has it. <laughs> <laughs> was it fully painted and everything? It was in color? Too? And like I said, with wow. the set color, wow. everything. everything. It must have been a sight if you're there, just, you know, I hate this. <laughs> But that he funny. felt obligated yeah, to the mail it in. That's funny. <laughs> he could have just called you and said, I, I don't it, like it. Can it I redo sucked. it? Yeah. It sucked under his opinion. <laughs> I'm sure it would have been, you know, <laughs> fantastic. Now, did he have a preference of painting versus drawing, or did it matter? He just liked doing it all. Well, he, he was a master of all mediums. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was just like whatever the job entailed, you know. I mean, obviously, he was a great pen and ink artist, but he was also fantastic in gouache. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm looking at, again, the stuff behind your head. So you got that uh, Sylvester a la George Washington yeah, doing the right. tech toe board. You know, and, you know, that's like, that's not pen and ink. That's like full brush. Full oh, of, yeah. You know, oils or something, acrylics or something. I don't know what he painted yeah, that with. Yeah, probably acrylics. And, yeah. yeah, and... Uh, 
you know, that looked like it took some time to do, you know. Well, you do it in a day. You do it in a day. Because like I said, this would have been the early 60s when he was doing over 100 pages a day, including covers and uh, magazine illustration. I I think the record, and I've been meaning to stick it in when you say how many pages he does, Crack 26, I believe, is the issue where he did every page except for the subscription ad, which was a reprint from Russ Heath from an older ad or something like that. But he did all 51 other pages, the covers and everything, you know, so, yeah, prolific. Well, (laughs) you know, a piece I found recently online that I really love, and I think think you saw it, was uh, he did some illustrations for – one of uh, Sproul's pulp magazines for mm-hmm. William Burroughs. I am a junkie. Mm-hmm. Just like <laughs> beautiful detail of a hypodermic and a dot, a guy injecting himself with junk while mm-hmm. this girl opens the door and is shocked and everything. It's just like, I mean, gouache, if people don't know, is basically, you know, paint in black and white, but it was mm-hmm. just like, gorgeous mm-hmm. and well that begs the question do you did you used to instruct him what type of medium to use as it were you know you no. just said i'd okay. leave it up to him and that's just it yeah. sometimes we'd get uh do a shade mm-hmm. you know pen and ink with a do a shade tone on it okay. or he would throw some zip tone on it or do gouache or wash mm-hmm. you know uh I remember I did, I, I wrote a Tarzan parody because, you know, he's got a big connection with Tarzan right. and that and everything. And he did it all in gouache. And I was like, gorgeous. <laughs> now, is, he, <laughs> is he left-handed or right-handed? Or? I believe he's right-handed. Yeah. Right-handed, okay. Just curious, yeah. But he is yeah. colorblind. He was colorblind. <laughs> we already discussed that, but I didn't ask what. And, uh, yeah, because well, I always ask what people draw with hand, which hand they draw with. And and there are a few out there, Warren Kramer, we mentioned before, he actually could draw with both hands, but he, wow. was, he was a lefty. And after he had a stroke, he uh, tried to draw with his right, could do it, but he didn't feel comfortable doing it. So he retired at that point. I ever um, told you the, the Tex Blaisdell story? Not sure. Go ahead. Do you know Tex Blaisdell? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> he he was, you know, he'd been in comics for decades and it was, I, I first knew about him as an inker in the seventies at DC, <clears throat> but he also like ghosted little orphan Annie and a bunch of other stuff. But like a lot of comic artists, he liked to drink. <laughs> and like myself, <laughs> at bars and stuff like that he liked to balance on one leg of a chair <laughs> okay while doing stuff I've, I've gotten in so much trouble at bars for just balancing on, on my leg on a chair i don't know why but anyway <laughs> he, he did this in his studio yeah and i'm sure people listening here will know tex blaisdell's name but regardless and he taught at like SVA and I think the Kubert school and stuff like okay. that. But anyways, so he's balancing on one leg. Well, probably tippling a little and fell and broke his drawing hand, his right hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he learned to draw with his left hand. I think Gray Mara told me this story, but uh, he learned to ink with his left hand. But then he was balancing on the chair again with on one leg. 
<laughs> and fell over and broke his left hand. <laughs> I knew where this was going. Yeah, yeah he uh, broke his left hand. Funny. Uh, and then so he drew with he the had pin to in his teeth. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just an amusing anecdote about us alcoholic cartoons. <laughs> yes. Uh, now you mentioned John introduced you to the Scotch whiskey. Was it uh, Bushmills? Yeah. Was he a good drinker? Was, was could he put it away? <laughs> but you know, he still yeah, turned in the work. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like Wally. He didn't let it affect him too much, like mm. say Wally Wood or something, right? He, you know? he, he actually told me Wally called him the day before about finding a gun. Ooh. Couldn't help him. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, with John. We uh before the uh the party at this New York mega club called the Tunnel, which was like the hottest spot in Manhattan in nineteen eighty eight, uh we had a dinner at the Cattleman, which was a steakhouse where Jim Warren used to bring all his artists to impress them, you know, uh for for dinner when they were in town or whatever. And that's the reason I went there, basically. And it was just next door to where the cracked offices were. So, uh, yeah, we had a big steak, lobster, whatever, dinner at the Cattleman. John put down a few Bushmills, and I tried to match him. <laughs> we were under the table, and he was like, what's beating you? What's... Get up, boy. No. He was a bear of a man. Actually, that's a, that's a thing. I didn't talk to him. so. How did he sound? What did he speak like? Can you imitate him as a speaking? <sighs> no, I can't imitate him, but like um definitely had, you know, deep uh kind of Orsonian Wells voice, I guess. Yeah, you know, right. he, he probably could have done old time radio pretty easily <laughs> and radio shows. And what are we doing tonight? Tomorrow night, Pinky. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, he, you know, he's barrel chested, so he yeah. just boomed with his yeah. voice and stuff. It was, it was an impressive man on every. So night. he was kind of, you know, the proverbial man's man. I mean, uh, like, there's going to be a documentary. I think it debuts next week. Uh, Ken Burns doing on uh, Hemingway, and you know, they're talking about what a man's man he was and yeah. stuff like that. Well, he, uh, he seems to resemblance. Severin kind of fell in that same kind of He's definitely resemblance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, now you left cracked what 1990 was that correct? Roughly around there. Um, yeah. Did you stay in touch with Severin after oh, that? Yeah. Okay. So, and what did you well, work did, on? I think you worked on it a, a few times, but what did you do? We did it? a uh, daily newspaper strip for the oh. New York Post for a couple of years celebrity biographics that's right i've seen one of those yeah and uh yeah we did you know a variety of celebrities uh you know what we did was it was based on the date of publication uh you know and and the person's birthday and we would do uh you know it was it was it ran six uh days a week Mm -hmm. so we would do three days for each biography and we did you know politicians celebrities sports figures <laughs> and so i'm thinking i'm thinking as part of the package for our next kickstarter for this uh, new cracked uh 
you know, TV show thing is doing a collection of them. That's cool. I'd be interested. Hey, I'm going to be working on this stuff. (laughs) I mean, Um, you did everyone from like, you know, like Bob Marley, Christopher Reeve. Didn't he do one on himself? Didn't you have him do it himself too? Well, that's a funny story. Okay. (laughs) It was a big secret. I didn't tell him, but I got Russ Heath, a a pal of his, a peer to draw the Severn biography. Hmm. So it was Russ Heath that drew oh, okay, the okay. biography. Okay. And we we did that on his birthday. Cool. All right. Okay. So I wasn't crazy. I said, I thought I'd seen a John Severn one floating around. Okay. Um, did you work on with uh, John anywhere else after that? Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. And so Marvel, we, were... we did some stuff for like a proposed NBA project that never happened, but he did an awful lot of art for it. and <clears throat> And also... Most unfortunately, like the Atlas Shrugged project, is that we had licensed uh, an Elvis book for Marvel Music. Oh, yeah. You were doing a bunch of music books. Yeah. Is that the only time you got John for Marvel then? Yeah, it's not kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, no, and the NBA stuff, too. Okay, okay. But, uh, yeah, this was a Marvel music project where... Uh, the book was uh, split between Elvis being dead <laughs> and remembering his life mm-hmm. and uh, on the mystery train, making stops throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And that framing sequence was done by Gene Colan and Beautiful Pencils. And then all the autobiographical stuff was was done by John. Mm. So, you know, like first time on it, on El, on uh, Ed Sullivan, this, that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, comeback show, all that stuff. But the thing is, is like we did two issues for my line got canceled. Mm. So, so where does that stuff out? exist now? Is that in the ether or does Marvel have it or what? I I supposedly got returned to the artists. Oh, okay. So I, someone I, may have it. Yeah. Well, I later I later cataloged all of Gene Colan's art for him, mm-hmm. and he had some of the pencils. So I would mm-hmm. imagine maybe John's family still has the Elvis stuff. But uh, oh, it's a shame. shame. It'd be nice to see it somehow. Someday. Yeah, um, I, might, I might have Xeroxes somewhere in storage. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was like my contract at Marvel was close to the end. And we had a meeting and they said that they couldn't sell Elvis or Bob Marley. And we had gotten two of the Bob Marley books out. And I was like, dude, you could sell Elvis tampons and make a million dollars. You're telling me you can't sell an Elvis comic? And that's when I didn't renew my contract. Wow. (laughs) Well, I know that uh, Marvel went through this strange period that may have coincided with that where they just decided never to do any sort of licensed stuff again. They they later rescinded that, but uh, they had stopped Ren and Stimpy and I uh, forgot everything else. And the last thing they put out until they did some Star Trek stuff later uh, was the Mighty Heroes. They put out one issue of Mighty Heroes. <laughs> and, what? Yeah, exactly. It was like, it was just random. It was like, you know, so there's a... The, I can't think it was the late 90s or something like that. I don't remember, you know. It's that like, is screwy. 
Now, so um, is that like the Krantz? Is that Krantz or who did that? Uh, that was Terry Tunes. So yeah, and and Bakshi. Oh well, Ralph. they had Mighty Mouse, so maybe they yeah, had. But... Yeah, Ralph Bakshi was in charge of that. Who did Fritz the Cat uh, and Cool World and uh, all those different movies? Like we that. might have talked about this before, but um, did you ever dig up any anything on the the flip sides? Um, no, because that I still was ask people. Right? I still ask people about that, and it's like. Um, the closest I've gotten is like, I think I vaguely remember that, but it's like, I could have sworn, I put it in the book, a crack book at the time. It's like, I could have sworn I saw it on TV because they would do this. I wrote the book. I'm promoting all my books, but so are you. Um, I did the book about (laughs) total television, which is the underdog Tennessee tuxedo and, uh, commander McBrag, that type of stuff. They did two pilots. Um, one was called The Champion, and the other was called, I can't even think of the name of it. Um, I remember the villain's name is Tortilla Fats. <laughs> 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 um, uh, oh, it was um, the, the Gene Hattree instead of Autry. It was Hattree. It was the deer. It was, uh, yeah, big horns. Anyway. Uh, they did. So that wasn't uh, Krantz. It was Total Television. No, those are Total Television, but those were only pilot films. I found this out. They were pilot films that were made that didn't sell. And uh, what had happened was when years later, after these shows were off the network, they were putting the syndication packages together, and they just threw these cartoons with it. And suddenly they were airing, and so. Um, when I asked the guys at the time about it, they go, "Yeah, that stuff wasn't ever supposed to air." <laughs> was it just, on? Is it on YouTube anywhere? Yeah, it is now. You know, it's like they're commonly available. They're not on the flip uh, sides. They're not on the, not the flip sides, but I mean, that's what I feel happened with the flip sides. Is Krantz also animated the the Spider Man show? The you know Spider Man, Spider Man that show. And Ray Mars did some great work on that. Um, they also were involved with those Marvel superhero ones yes. that were the Kirby ones that barely had any animation that basically looked like a comic panel, and they go, "Go, you know, whatever." <laughs> you know? And uh, they didn't do the Mighty Thor ones; those were done by Paramount. But uh, they did most of the other ones, and they did some other show. I forgot; I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, there's well, because. The flip sides pilot apparently had Sylvester, yes. Crack's mascot. So I could have sworn I, I grew up in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area, and there was a big station there called who's still around called KTVU Channel Two. They would show all this Spider Man and these Marvel superheroes and everything, and then they'd have this afternoon block of cartoons called Cartoon Town or whatever, and they'd just show random stuff, and they'd show Tom and Jerry, and they'd show this and that and the other, and then they'd show that one. It would just be like a cartoon they'd show. And I wasn't paying attention to it. But not flip sides. Well, I think it was, but I don't remember it being called that. And it's like, you know, unless I'm having some sort of... Wasn't there a rock band involved too? Maybe. But, you know, it's like, it's been so long, you know, had I been consciously trying to pay attention to it. (laughs) Because... Um, I hate to say it, I was not the biggest Cracked fan back in the 70s, you know, I, I'd buy it, but it was just like what Dan Close said, you know, you bought Cracked when you couldn't find Mad, you know, it's like you'd wait, you'd try to get your Mad fix, and there wouldn't be another issue, and say, okay, I'll buy Cracked again, and then he said, 
Oh, I know why I don't buy cracked. I hate cracked. <laughs> That's the worst stuff. Yeah, that was before you were first the editor. professional work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that, but that was after the fact, and that was when yeah. he, he was talking about sixties and seventies cracked. Yeah. Now, I know all the people who love cracked and even love it more than mad. You know, I get it. I get it, and I appreciate I don't. it. I <laughs> I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate it more now, but. At the time, you know, it was a major letdown. And I used to think this. It's like bringing it back to Severin. Why is Severin over here at Cracked? Why isn't he yet mad? You know, I didn't know any of the backstory. I told you. Yeah. Well, I know now, but, you know, as a kid, I was like, what's he doing over here? He's their only good artist. The flip sides is another great example (laughs) of uh, John's versatility. Because, like, he drew uh, uh, the comic in Cracked in a total UPA style, like mm-hmm. a total limited animation style. Yeah. And and again, you mentioned earlier where John did, like, uh, you know, like 99% of an issue. Oh, yeah. Not one, uh, maybe one or two of those stories was in his style. Oh, yeah. But every other story was done in a different style. Well, he would yeah. use pseudonyms like Lepore or whatever to do Bigfoot type stuff. And that's just it. He would, he would uh, you know, use a variety of styles and mediums so he could fill a whole book and you wouldn't yeah. really know it was all one dude unless yeah. you were a geek like us. One I remember as a kid... <laughs> And I even know the issue number is cracked 147, and it should it's similar to the uh, crack cover there where he's painting, but it's Sylvester and he's painting himself uh, like a paint by number, and he's painting himself, but it's not signed Severn, it's signed Powers, and I remember saying to myself, "Wow, this Powers guy draws as well as Severn." <laughs> I didn't know it's John's middle name, so whoops. <laughs> Years later, I go, "Well, no wonder he drew just like him. He right. was him." So, well, anyway. that's like Lepower was yes. another pseudonym for yeah. his Bigfoot. Yeah, means. Double O Severin, you know, for because he was a James Bond fan and uh, or Nevri. Uh, yeah, he did his. <laughs> yeah, he did his name backwards. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, he had a couple other ones. It seemed like he had a Swedish one, and uh, that was his name too. I'd have to look them up. They're all in the book, everybody. Um, <laughs> anyway, so after you lost the Marvel thing, did you stay in contact with him after that, or did you just oh, yeah. drift yeah. off and do other things? And. Nope. Uh, no, nah, you already been in touch with Did him you ever now. try to hire him for other things? I mean, you went on to other projects and things yeah, like that. Yeah, well, on. I mean, uh, you know, I couldn't, uh, <laughs> after that, I couldn't afford him, basically. Right, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> on solo projects, every yeah. now and then. Yeah, hey, I'm I mean, asking, you never know. It's like, I scraped and scraped together one more thing. <laughs> I did, yeah, I had him ink a, a cover for a planned project that I penciled that never happened. Yeah. Stuff like that, but. Okay. But after and, about, oh. uh, yeah, after about 2005, I guess we, we hadn't really worked together, but we okay. stayed in touch. Hmm. Okay. And um, during all the time you worked for him and even before, did he ever talk about, we were talking about early about Jack Davis getting into time magazine covers and movie posters and record albums. Did Severin, have any interest in doing that or did he ever pursue that or did he just like doing the comics uh not specifically i don't know where he got his work i uh because 
you know, early 60s, he was doing a lot of like book illustrations for Random House and, you know, and stuff like that. I don't know uh, where he found his work, whether he, you know, openly solicited to get work or they came to him. Sounds like they just came to him since he didn't do a whole lot, you know. And I'm not saying doing a hundred pages a month. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Davis really pursued it. It, it, I mean, Davis just locked into like two things, but did a lot. I mean, it's amazing how many RCA album covers he did. You know, RCA was like he could have retired on that, never done another thing. You know, but anyway. Um. So again, again, talking about all the styles that John worked in. Yeah. Those like uh, random house history books he did were like two color mm-hmm. and also like some men's magazine stuff he did in the fifties for okay. Sproul sixties, oh, yeah. which I think <coughs> we're also going to reprint pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, like man's it, action and all that. No, 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 no. College humor. Oh, those types. So oh, yeah, college humor. Like and French, French, QTs or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. But he yeah. would do like two color stuff. Yeah, and and that's a talent again that like is lost to the digital world, where it's mm-hmm. like you could only afford to print two two colors. Mm-hmm. So you know you would do some pretty cool shit, and mm-hmm. I said that word again in black and white sure. with the right with the red <laughs> plate or blue plate or this yeah. or that and everything, and like you know it takes a little thinking to be able to work that way. Yeah. So you said you kept in touch with him. I mean, I and I know crack kind of wound down uh-huh. uh, by two thousand four. We won't go into it too much, but. Uh, the last real good severance stuff was probably about 2000 before Dick Culpa took over at the end. You know, did he ever talk about working with uh, Silverstone or Andy Simmons or Dick Culpa or anything in those later years? Did you ever ask him about it? Or did yeah, no, get... I never asked him, not specifically, but mm-hmm. I think uh, he felt good in the fact that my pal Cliff Mott was still art director and associate editor because he pretty much took over the uh, responsibility, I think, of specifically dealing with John and that, uh, you know, John knew that Cliff had his best interests in mind. Yeah, Yeah, because I'm always surprised that, yeah, Severn didn't leave when you left, you know, which he could have. You know, but you know, I wouldn't have wanted him to. Man, stuck it out. Very pleasant paycheck. I mean, I can see where you could tell when you look through the issues where the defining line where it's like, "I've had enough," you know, and then and then it's culpa, like uh, we said with uh, Lakin and with Simon. You know, it's like I'll I'll print any scrap I have, you know, and you get like some (laughs) black and white drawing he did on a napkin or something. And it's I I don't want to be too critical on the, the. cracked editorial after i left but i think it was sort of like the 70s again after i left where it was like i mean all right i think he did his best crack work with you and maybe in the early days with you know what oh yeah soul brodsky you know way back when you know it's like you know so no he definitely put his work in in the 50s and 60s and then like i said i think 70s it was a job yeah. And he had to draw Laverne and Shirley and, you know, all this stuff. And But then I'd like to think that, like, you know, when I was there, I, I gave him fun stuff to do that yeah. inspired him. Well, and then, like yeah. 
I kind of think after I left, it was it was a job again where it was yeah. like, okay, I got to draw Mortal Kombat. Yeah, and, you know, like, yeah, it was like wrestlers and all sorts of stuff. He probably Simpsons? didn't care much about like yeah. wasting John on the Simpsons. Yeah. I was like, well, I noticed, yeah, later on, you know, they'd give, like, Brogan all the cartoony stuff and, you know, and different things like that because they probably figured, uh, this is kind of beneath John to do, you know. We'll give him the celebrities and stuff, you know, so. But, yeah, it is okay. funny. He did it. He did it. But even Mort Drucker did a Simpsons cover once, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you wouldn't even know it was Mort Drucker except there's his name. So it's like... They, Sometimes they just sign really crazy things. I hope he yeah. got his grandkid to draw it. And... <laughs> so um, I got we got the book together and got it out and everything like that. We're talking about If You're Cracked, You're Happy, Volume 1 and 2. Um, and then, of course... Uh, Where can you get that book? Uh, you can get it at Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. I've heard of those places. Or at Bear Manor's website, where this is now, not just in this flimsy paperback. You can get them in hardback, finally. So You say yeah. they're flimsy. They look yeah. pretty thick. <laughs> but this is still a softback, see? So what, <laughs> what does the hardcover look like? Is it, well, it, it looks the same. Cover? It just have a harder cover on the cover. <laughs> Cardboard. I, I have other hard... Well, they're over there. I had to go get them. You had to combine <laughs> the two books. You'd have like a freaking dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I have a friend, Stu Showstack, who does his own show, and he always says, another doorstop. So it's like, <laughs> I get it. We get <laughs> um, so I... Uh, well, where, where can we end on this? Uh, I guess the end of his life, Do we have to end? I know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it can never end. Okay. But unfortunately, John did pass away. And we'll put, uh, you know, you said he was born on Christmas Day, where here it says the day after. So he was born on Boxing Day, we'll say that. But huh? what day of the year was he, did he pass away on? Wasn't it January? No. no. February, February, but it was Lincoln's birthday. Can you believe that? In 2012, you know, I didn't remember that. I remembered it was 2012, but I didn't until I was looking at, again, this Wikipedia stuff. Um, uh, February, February 12th, you know, wow. You know, but I was bummed out that day because, you know, I was just kind of hoping, I don't know, you know, it's like he just kept working, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't know. What, when did you last talk to him? Did you talk to him all the way to the end or, you know? what 2012 you say yeah yeah it's been... probably more like 2010 yeah but uh but i guess maybe later i've been in touch because he i think his last work was um for a newspaper smoke signals hmm. do you see that i've heard of it i don't think i saw it because yeah, he but... did like uh a, a, a watercolor cover of uh a bunch of Indians burning copies of Cracked. Ah, no idea. So I didn't see that one. Okay. Because like I said, the last thing I saw was the Batlash book, which I have. Yeah. You know. No, and, and I think that was like right minutes before he died, basically. And I guess... Well, the, I yeah, the one you're talking about. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he did a few projects between that one and what I'm talking about. Because he kept working, for all I know. Now, yeah. Oh, I, I, I never talked to the family again, you know, because, right. I don't know, I just don't always keep in contact with it. But did you ever talk to Michalina later on? I know she's oh, just sure, passed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and I think, you know, if, if he hadn't died at the drawing board, it would have been, you know, a couple minutes or hours before he was at the board. After, yeah. rather. Right. Well, he made it to 90 years. I mean, this would have been his God bless him. Yeah, so it's like he lived a long, full life. Um, was he a he smoker? Was he, I mean, I you said he drank. He's, enough. Did he smoke cigarettes and stuff, or do you know? I think he quit. Yeah, okay. I mean, as okay. as, a, as come on, as an American male, I I'm yeah. Well, that's like I figured, but you know, still the '60s or '70s. <laughs> well, at least. yeah, or even Otherwise, at the 30th birthday, was he smoking a pipe heat. or something? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think he did have pipes. Okay, that's why it's got. I think if you look at some yeah. of his um, his uh, you know self drawings, you'll see like his uh rondelet with the brushes and pens and ink bottles you'll see a pipe or something oh yeah and i remember now the cigarette pack that's on the cover i think it's the one where sylvester gets shrunk really small and there's like a, a help letter or something and there's a pack of cigarettes or something next to it so, <laughs> yeah so okay yeah well yeah we have to cover seven here warts and all around <laughs> um during your time talking to him and everything, did uh, he talk about Marie much? Did they get along? I think you did one piece with both of them, didn't you, during your time at Cracked? Wasn't it like a... I had her uh, do a few pieces that she penciled and inked, but uh, before before I was there, uh, they did a few jobs that she penciled and he inked. Yeah. Like, I know they did a Batman one. But it wasn't yours. It was way back in the yeah. Six, Batman versus Green Horn B or something. Yeah, yeah something like. That. <laughs> <laughs> and and there was another Batman one too with uh, something about the bat signal that I yeah. bet George Gladder wrote. Yeah. <laughs> did he get along uh, with like everybody else, like you know George and stuff like that, oh, or did he? Yeah. Ever, like, you know, okay, so he was he pretty much got along with most everybody. Just. Maybe not Feldstein and Severin. I mean, Feldstein and Kurtzman <laughs> so much. Okay. Maybe you just no, didn't like no, editors. He, yeah, <laughs> uh, George, George Gladder, you know, uh, some people might not know, was prolific writer for Archie and Cracked and created yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, among other things. Right. But, like, George was so unique in that <clears throat> he was a wannabe cartoonist that would always do layouts Mm-hmm. for all the artists that cracked in our cheap mm-hmm. and 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 provide reference up the wazoo for whatever he was writing writing and drawing about and stuff so mm-hmm. like i said john loved that i mean you know like i said as opposed to kurtzman i think maybe kurtzman wanted to follow his every line because yeah. I, I think that was the problem with russ heath yeah. at mad yeah. is that he didn't follow the plastic Sam parody like line per line so <laughs> he never worked at Matt again right. and so I think you know uh, Kurtzman might have been dictator yeah. about all that but uh, but as far as with Gladder and John he loved the layouts yeah. and, and uh, I've seen so much original art from uh, Archie and cracked in the past, where I go like, Glader wrote it because yeah. <laughs> you can tell by the layouts. You yeah, know? yeah. Glader did it. Yeah, that's and cool. um, 
No, he did meet so, him. Yeah, and he was cool. So guy. yeah, they, they had a great <laughs> collaboration. I think John and and George and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, fact, I can't say uh, enough about George. George, George wanted me to to work on his autobiography before he passed away. If you only know? you had. And, and I tried. I tried. We were, you know, it was just we ran out of time, and it's like yeah. it just kind of fell apart after that. So, well, I, I mean, I, I guess I could still do one, was, but it's really. But I think what? he was in his 90s. Yeah, he and, got into his 90s also. And he was a yeah. few years older than John. So, yeah. And he was like, he was like way into yoga since the 60s. <laughs> Every time I'd see him at San Diego Con, he'd just be like fit and fim, firm and just like, yeah. and, um, you know, he fought in the Pacific War and mm-hmm. all kinds of, he was just an incredible individual. Mm-hmm. He started out as a cartoonist and had, you know, some gag drawings in men's magazines and stuff, and then just seemed to, uh, you know, get more work writing and drawing layouts and stuff. But mm. I love George. He, he's a great That's guy. Cool. That's cool. All right. I guess we're at the end of this. I mean, what should we do? I mean, are you promote something? I guess. I mean, uh, and what are we doing next on a Kickstarter? You keep alluding to TV <laughs> and you keep alluding to biography and maybe this and maybe that. Um, no, I'm, I'm promoting all kinds of crap. Uh, where, where you see that right over there? Libby the Kid? Mortpod.com. Oh, wait. I can't, I can't tell my left from my right. But yeah, morttodd.com under that <laughs> Billy the Kid cover there on the left. Uh, that's my website. Mm-hmm. I've got like um, all kinds of funny stuff. Severn related, I got The Monster's Attack, two volumes. Oh yeah, I'll show it again. <laughs> two, right? Two, two, two. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> here's, the, you know, here's the other covers he did. On right, the by John, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, they got a bunch of John stuff plus like Ditko and Gray Morrow and Gene Coleman, Alex Tooth, all kinds of artists. <laughs> and, and then we have the uh, where did my arm go? This no, this one. Wait, this how do I do that? We got the comedy of John Severin. Makes a great Halloween mask, <laughs> <laughs> which I worked on with Mark and. Yeah, we're going to do my my plan. I haven't really talked this over too much with Mark is to do two volumes of, uh, you know, best TV satire. Ooh, look at that art. <laughs> the best TV satires of the 60s and 70s. It'll be mostly John, but there'll be other phenomenal artists. And then I got like, uh, yeah, you got the Black Bull, <laughs> which is John's earliest work with uh, Bill Elder and uh, Harvey Kurtzman. And it's like sort of like a Batman Lone Ranger. And it's pretty fun stuff. And it's from like late 40s that, you know, I remastered the art so it doesn't look all crusty and stuff. <laughs> and then we got the Billy the Kid which is, uh, we got two issues in color and a collected volume in black and white. And they're all shot from the original stats from Charlton. So it's like the closest you get to original art. It's just not like, 
you know, scanned from the comics and all that stuff. Like <laughs> some people do, but um, <laughs> sometimes we have no choice. Right. But yeah. this stuff is pristine. We scan things here. They don't look too yeah. bad. They're still well, I, I had to do a little work on them, laddie. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a few Severin related titles out there. And if you like this stuff, mm-hmm. you like all the crap I do. Yes. Because like. So buy his time. crap and then. I'll work with him more. <laughs> and we'll make more crap. And yeah, if you're crack, you're happy. Yay! <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, it was a pleasure having you on the show again and on TV or Zoom. Woo! <laughs> and well, thanks uh, for having me. Thank you very much, Mort. And uh, I'll probably have you again sometime, probably when we get a Kickstarter uh, rolling or something. And maybe hey, yeah. we'll have somebody else come on with us or something if they're helping us out in the project you never know so uh but uh we'll wrap it up and end it here and say join us next time on the fun ideas podcast here's to severin yes 100th anniversary 100th birthday of john severin and enjoy his work get anything he did at ec get anything he did at crack anything at prize anything charlton whatever it's great stuff He's a God artist. bless him <laughs> and his family. He's got an yes. incredible family. Here, here. I mean, I think he had like uh, 12 kids and probably has like 87 grandchildren. And they all can draw and paint. And- <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. We'll let it go over here. All right. All thanks. Right. See you next time. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Mort Todd, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 116 will be coming soon. Thank you for listening, and thank you Camden Spees and Ben Olson for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode 112 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.